Happy Sunday, everybody. How's everybody doing? Great. I hope I hope you're doing great because I'm doing great. Welcome. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have a paranormal need, of course, we can get to you. It might take us a while because the state's really huge, but uh, we will get to you. Today is Sunday reading day, and we're going to be reading our book on the Salem Witch Trials. And... Uh, Next hour, you're going to hear all kinds of different language, and including 1600s English. So I tend to struggle a little bit with it because of the way the book's written and, and being in Kindle and the fact that I have to enlarge the text. Um, thank you for okay. Things don't line up quite as well as it should. So it gets to be very interesting for me to do this. But anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. If you're watching from Facebook and you like what you hear today, please be sure to hit that share, that, well, the share button. And uh, if you haven't done so already, please hit that follow button and hit that like button. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. If you're on YouTube and you're watching, uh, right down that bottom right-hand corner over there is my little ghost with the magnifying glass. That's our mascot. Click on that. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe. We've got a lot of videos, uh, different topics, and I think there's something in there that you're going to enjoy. Anyhow, let's get this show on the road. And uh, last week when we left off, they had accused a four-year-old kid, a four-year-old kid of witchcraft. Uh, we are also, and I want to add in here, we are, we are also reading this book via permission from the author, Re Rebecca F. Pittman, and the publishing company. Uh, my eyes are really watery. I've got allergies really bad. <laughs> uh I woke up today and I uh, looked at my hair and I looked like my mother. So I had to do something about it. And uh, all the ladies out there would understand that. And I made sure that uh, I took care of it, made, made my hair the right dark color, but I really globbed it on. So obviously my allergies are acting up, uh, some in my eyes and all that good stuff. So my eyes, like I said, my eyes are, my, my eyes are running and so is my nose. Okay. So I'm going to read for about an hour. You don't have to sit here and watch me. No, that's not what today's about. Today's about I can, I can read, and you can go clean house or do whatever it is you want to do, see, while I'm reading. And you can, you can just simply listen to me read. But like I said, it will get exciting because this is, let me make sure I'm on the right mic. Hang on. While I do this, because I always switch the mics around. Yep. Um, let me make, um, I wanted to make sure I was on the right mic. Uh, because this is old English, and I'm talking... 1600 English, so it does get interesting with the spellings, you know, from the testimony and stuff. Okay, without further ado, we will read. It is for okay, all right, let's do this. Woo. It was Thursday, and the lecture was dutifully conducted in the Salem Village Meeting House. At its conclusion, a crowd ambled back to Ingersoll's around four in the afternoon. Once inside, Abigail Williams and Mary Walcott took center stage. They announced the specters of William and Deliverance Hobbs were attacking them. They yelled that Goody Hobbs had bitten Mary's foot as she passed their table. Benjamin Hutchinson, rapier at the ready, struck at the space he indicated. The two girls cried out, You've struck her on the right side, near her eye. Warming to the sensation they were creating among the adults in the room, the girls wrapped it up. As they pointed out more and more, as they pointed out more and more witches flying around the room, Hutchinson and Eli Putman, Putnam swung their swords randomly at each spot, the girls revealed. You have killed a great black woman of Stonington, one cried, and an Indian that comes with her, for the floor is all covered with blood. Stonington was a town in Connecticut, and it is unknown who the traveling specters were. Abigail looked out from the tavern at, Thor at Thorndike Hill and said she saw three dead witches laying on the hillside where a large gathering of witches was camped. On Friday, April 22nd, 1692, Reports of witches filling the sky had villagers' heads spinning. The court was due to convene for the inquest of the newly arrested afflictors. Yet rather than these proceedings stemming the tide of witchcraft, it appeared to have opened the floodgates. Once again, Reverend Paris's pasture was filled with covenant witches. The girls reported that the witches had tried to drag them along. Villagers had struck at the shapes in an effort to save the girls as the afflicted victims pointing here and there, crying out at the plethora of cape-flapping specters. A crowd had gathered, preparing to go into the meeting house for the Inquisition. Paris's pasture ran behind the meeting house and farther back where many were standing about and talking. To suddenly hear that they may 
literally be standing amidst a witch's assembly must have been terrifying. Abigail, bold as always, came hurtling through the parsonage door and loudly proclaimed that the pasture was filled with entire families of witches from Andover from Andover. Martha Carrier was sharing a pole ride with Ann Foster and Mary Lacey. With delicious excitement, she told her story. The pole the witches were riding upon had broken and Foster grabbed Carrier around the neck to break her fall. Nonetheless, she hurt her leg. Then they had a picnic beneath a tree at the far end of the pasture by a stream where a cart path ran. As other witches arrived, the, the three nibbled on bread and cheese. It was a large gathering with the specters of imprisoned witches joining each joining others that had yet to be apprehended. William Barker Specter from Andover claimed there were 105 swordsmen standing guard outside the meeting house. Then George Burroughs Specter arrived with that of two other ministers, John Boosie, Boose, Bus, Boose, from Wells, Maine, who brought the meeting's wine from Boston, and an unnamed gray-headed man. Abigail went on in a frenzied state of excitement. Burroughs, she said, had blown a trumpet to call two companies of witches, who arrived accompanied by a drumbeat. Burroughs called the meeting of witches to order and told them to begin in Salem Village in their efforts to replace all of God's churches with the devils. Salem Village was the perfect place to start, he said, as the people here were already so divided. Then he told them to go throughout New England and build up the devil's kingdom. At noon, the witches' sacrament was served. Abigail continued with Rebecca Nurse, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Sarah Wiles, the newly accused witch, acting as deacons. They served the others the bloody sacrament. Later, a luncheon was offered that was of more meager fare, brown bread and cider. Burroughs sat at the head of the table with a man with a white high-crowned hat, who many guessed was the devil himself. The man read off a list of 72 names who were the new recruits of the devil's kingdom. This brought the list of witches to 300. Their king was to be George Burroughs and their queen, Martha Carrier. The magistrates, meanwhile, had entered the meeting house in preparation for the inquest. Shocked and muttering, the crowd of villagers who had just listened to Abigail Williams' wild story of the Devil's Covenant, being hosted literally beneath their feet, flooded in the meeting house. Paris listed in his notes that morning that there were much people and many in the windows that blocked light, causing the gloom to fall over the interior. Deliverance Hobbs, mother of Abigail Hobbs, who had already confessed to witchcraft, was the first to be examined. Knowing her daughter had admitted to being in league with the devil, no doubt, made her a despair of fair inquest. Here's where it gets fun, the old-timey writing, so bear with me. Examination of Deliverance Hobbs, April 22, 1692. 1. The Examination of Deliverance Hobbs, 22nd April 1692, at a court held at Salem Village by John Hawthorne, Esquires, Jonathan Corwin, Esquires. H. Okay, H is going to be, H is going to be Mr. Hawthorne, so we remember what that is, okay? H. Mercy Lewis, do you know that, do you know her that stands at the bar for the, for the magistrates have privately ordered who should be brought in and not suffered her name to be mentioned? Do you know her? Speaking to another, but both were struck dumb. Ann Putnam Jr. said it was Goody Hobbs, and she hath hurt her, mu her much, John Indian. Okay, hurt her, hurt her much, see? John Indian said he had seen her, and she choked him. Mary Walcott said yesterday was the first time that she saw her, i.e. as a tormentor. H. Why do you hurt these persons? D. It is unknown to me. How come you commit acts of witchcraft? D. I know nothing of it. H. It is you? Or your appearance? How comes about? How comes this about? Tell us the truth. D. I cannot tell. H. Tell us what you know in this case. Who hurts them if you do not? D. There are a great many persons hurts us all. H. But it is your appearance. D. I didn't know it. H. Have you not consented to it that they should be hurt? D. No. In the sight of God and man, as I shall answer another day. H. It is said you were afflicted. How came that about? D. I have seen sundry sights. H. What sights? D. Last Lord's Day in this meeting house and out of the door. I saw a great many birds, cats, and dogs, and heard a voice say, come away. H. What have you seen since? D. 
the shapes of several persons. H, what do they say? D, nothing. H, what, neither the birds nor the persons? D, no. H, what persons did you see? D, Goody Wilds and the shape of Mercy Lewis. H, what is that? Did either of them hurt you? D, none but Goody Wilds, who tore me almost to pieces. H, where was you then? D, in bed. H, was not the book brought to you by sign or brought to you to sign? D, no. H, were you not through? Okay, were not you threatened by anybody if you did not sign the book? D, no, by nobody. H, what were you tempted to under your affliction? D, I was not tempted at all. H, is it not a solemn thing that last Lord's Day you were tor tormented and now you are now, now you are become a tormentor so that you have changed sides? How comes this to pass? Now we're at Abigail. Okay, we okay, we got an asterisk of Abigail Williams. Cry out there, and Ann Putnam Jr., cry out there. Is Goody Hobbs upon the beam? She is not at the bar. They cannot see her there. Though there, there she stood. H, what do you say to this? That you are at the bar in person, yet they see your appearance upon the beam. And whereas a few days passed, you were tormented. Now, now, now you are become a tormentor. Tell us how this change comes. Tell true. D. I have done nothing. H. What have you resolved you will not confess? Hath my body threatened you if you do confess? You can tell how this change comes. Asterisk. She, she looked upon John Indian and then another, and then, then they fell into fits. H. Tell us the reason of this change. Tell us the truth. What have you done? D. I cannot speak. H. What do you say? What have you done? D. I cannot tell. H. Have you signed any book? It is very lately then. When was it? D. The night before the last. Excuse me. H. Well, the Lord opened your heart. Let me grab a thing here because, yeah, I'm going to have this issue. Well, the Lord opened your heart to confess the truth. Who brought the book to you? D. It was Goody Wilds. H. What did you make your what did you make your mark with in the book? D. Pen and ink. H. Who brought the pen and ink? D. They that brought the book. Goody Wilds. Did they threaten you if you They that brought the book? Okay, this is them. Okay, it switches off because it doesn't say that he asked the question. So this is this is like a, this is where the confusion comes in. Okay, here's her answer. D. They that brought the book. Goody Wilds. Now, it should say H, but it doesn't. Did they threaten you if you did not sign? D, yes, to tear me in pieces. H, was there any else, and was there anyone else in company? D, no, sir. H, what did you afflict others by? Did they bring images? D, yes. Who brought the, okay, yes. H, who brought the images? A, Goody Wild and John Osborne. I'm sorry, John Osborne. I'm sorry, Goody Wild and Goody Osborne. H, what did you, Put into those images. D. Pin, sir. H. Well, tell us who have have you seen this company? Seen of this company? D. None but those two. Now we're on the reverse side, whatever that means. H. Have you not seen many? No. I heard last night a kind of thundering. H. How many images did you use? D. But two. H. Nay, here is more afflicted by you. You say you said more. Well, tell us the truth. Recollect yourself. I'm amazed. Can you remember how many were brought? D. Not well, but several were brought. H. Did not they bring the image of John Nichols' child? D. Yes. H. Did you not hurt that child? D. Yes. H. Where be those images at your house? D. No, they carried them away again. H. When? D. They carried some then and some since. H. Was it Goody Wild in body or appearance? D, in appearance. H, was there any man with them? D, yes, a tall black man with a high-cutted hat. H, did you know more of them? No, sir. That D, no, sir. Okay, note, all the sufferers free from affliction during her examination after once she began to confess, though at sundry times they were much afflicted till then. Note, whereas yesterday... At Deacon Ingersoll's, Mary Walcott, Abigail Williams cried, there stands Goody Hobbs, showing also where Benja, 
okay, showing also where Benjamin, Benjamin Hutchinson struck at her with the rapier and the afflicted. That is said, Mary and Abigail said, oh, you have struck her on the right side. Okay. Whereupon the magistrates, asking her after the public examination whether she had received any hurt yesterday, she said yes in her right side like a prick and that it was very sore and done when she was in a trance, telling us also in what house and room it was done. Whereupon the magistrates required some women to search it, who found it, so as she had confessed. Also, a little after that, she said the prick in her, after a little after the said prick in her side, she had some what in her left eye like this, something in her left eye like this, which agrees with what the afflicted father said that Benja Hutchinson afterwards taught her eye with the same rapier, with the same rapier, and said, pointing to the place, there was a mark which the marshal shall, being by said so, there was. See what I mean? Salem Village, April 22nd, the 1692. Mr. Samuel Paris being desired to take in writing the examination and of deliverance Hobbes hath delivered it as aforesaid. And upon hearing the same and seeing what we did see together with the charge of the afflicted persons against them, we committed her. John Hawthorne, the examination of one deliverance Hobbes, April 22nd, 1692. Perhaps one of the most confusing elements of the witchcraft phenomenon is that the markings were found in places where the afflicted said they would be found upon the clothing and bodies of the witches. Terrors and clothing during that era would be common. Perhaps Abigail and others had already seen the terrors or marks on a person before they went into their theatrics and matched their accusations accordingly. It would be a simple thing to do. My allergies. Others may have fallen under a lucky guess, or the willingness of the villagers and magistrates to see what they were told to see. What is particularly interesting with the inquest of Deliverance Hobbes is that we see for the first time the magistrates testing the veracity of the afflicted girls. The accused names were heretofore always announced before the afflictor was brought into the room. This time, Hawthorne deferred, and instead asked the girls who the woman was that was let in. Hobbes was from Topsfield, outside the village boundaries. Paris wrote, The magistrates had previously ordered who should be brought in and not suffered her name to be announced. Hawthorne asked Mercy Lewis and another girl, do you know her? The two were struck dumb, and Putnam off Jr. offered the correct name. It is Goody Hobbs, and she has hurt me so much. Mercy Lewis had known the Hobbs family while living in Falmouth, Maine. She may have been distantly related to them. Unwilling to name a relation herself, had she given Hobbs identity to Ann Jr. earlier? Hobbs, Hobbs, Hobbs' Topsfield property was adjacent to the Putnams, just over the Salem Village line. While no disputes between the two women are, or two men are on record, had Ann Jr. been aware of the families? Examination of William Hobbs. This transcript is in alternate line Q&A. There were many tears in the oh boy, there were many tears in the manuscript. April 22nd, 1692, the examination of William Hobbs at the same court. H, okay, H, at this man hurt you? S, several answered yes. Goody Bieber said no. What say you? Are you guilty or not? I can speak in the presence of God safely, as I must look to give account another day, that I am as clear as a newborn babe. Clear of what? Of witchcraft. Have you never heard these? No. Have you not consented that they should be hurt? Abigail Williams said he was going to Mercy Lewis and quickly after said Lewis was seized with a fit. Then said Abigail cried, he is coming to Mary Walcott and said Mary pleasantly fell into a fit also. How can you be clear when the children saw something come from you, from you and afflict these persons? Look at these persons. Then they fell into fists and hallooed and suffered greatly. Torn your wife before you, God, was torn. Torn, opened her mouth, and she had torn She had torn session. And you seen the torn. Torn before us. I am clear of any witch. 
what do you call it? And overlooking of them, sorry guys, you look upon them and they are hurt. I heard none of them. Then they all fell in a great fits again. When were you at any public religious meeting? Not a pretty while. Why so? Because I was not well. I had a distemper that none knows. I had a distemper that none knows. Can you act witchcraft here and by casting your eyes turn folks into fits? You may judge your pleasure. My soul is clear. Do you not see you hurt those? Do you not see you hurt these by, by your look? No, I do not know it. You did not answer that question. Don't you overlook them? No, I don't overlook them. What do you call that way of looking upon persons and striking them down? You may judge your pleasure. Well, what do you call it? It was none of I. Who was it then? I cannot tell who they are. Why, they say, they see you going to hurt persons and immediately hurt persons. Abigail. Finally, we know who it is. Somebody. William said he is going to hurt Mercy Lewis. And immediately said Mercy fell into a fit and divers, and divers others. Can you now deny it? I can deny it to my dying day. What is the reason you go away when there is any reading of the scripture in your family? He denied it. Nathaniel Ingersoll, and though, okay, this is Nathaniel Ingersoll, and though, Hanus testified that this Hobbes' daughter had told them so. As soon as your daughter, Abigail, and Af torn, that's the torn area, today your wife confessed. They left torturing, and so would you. If you had confessed, can you still deny that you are guilty? I am not guilty. If you put away God's ordinances, no wonder that the devil prevails with you to keep his counsel. Have you never seen any apparition? No, sir. Did you never pray the devil that, to the devil that your daughter might confess no more? No, sir. Who do, your, who do you worship? I hope to worship God only. Where? In my heart. But God requires outward worship, not worship him in pub, not public. Me. I worship him in my heart. Worship him in your family. Speak the truth. Not given, okay, remember this is torn, so we're just getting parts. Not giving the devil advent against you. Not giving the devil advent against you thereby. He was silent in a considerable space, then said yes. Have you not known a good while how that your daughter was a witch? No, sir. Do you think she is a witch now? I do not know. Well, if you desire mercy from God, only the truth, I do not know anything of that nature. What do you think these people ail? More than ordinary? But what more than ordinary? Silence. What? Why do you not answer what they do ail? I do not know what they ail. I'm sorry. It is none, it is none of I. What do you think? Okay. Okay, continues. What do you think they ail? There is more ordinary. What is that? I cannot tell. Do you think they are bewitched? I cannot tell. Not tell when your wife and daughter? Did you not? Did you consent that these should be hurt? Never in my days. What do you think? Heard your wife? She was torn. These the other day. Now God, she is torn, okay? These the... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm saying eternal God in heaven knows. I'm going to try and piece this together. Know that. We do not ask that, but what her do not know what occurred. Can't tell. I don't think it's can't tell. I know nothing. Man said he told me that if his wife, again, it's, you know, not right in the book, he would kill her. It was the same time that she did sign papers by the time of her appearing as a entered a Mr. Paris family and others. Did not you say so? I never said so. All right. Finally. Okay. Woo. Okay. Salem Village, 22nd April, 1692. I'm working on this. I'm doing my best, guys. Mr. Samuel Paris being desired to take in writing the examination 
of Sarah Wiles and William Hobbs delivered it as aforesaid. And upon hearing the same and seeing what we did at the same time of her examination, together with the charge of the afflicted persons against her, we committed her to the magistrate's goal. John Hawthorne, examination of Sarah Wiles, William Hobbs, 22 April 1692. Sarah Wiles of Topsfield was examined next. Sarah was a 65-year-old woman with a checkered past. She had been accused of witchcraft in 1676. One of the accusers stated she had cursed his, <clears throat> his cart full of hay for borrowing her, her scythe without permission. Her scythe? 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 The cart's wheel had broken on the road, and the hay unloaded while it was fixed. Even after the repairs, the oxen refused to budge. A strange-looking dog appeared and spooked them. They bolted into a river, dumping the cart, dumping the cartload of hay, and, run, and ruining it. Sarah also had been accused of, for, of fornication and publicly whipped. Her marriage was contentious, and long-standing hostilities resulted. One Mary Gould Reddington, stepmother of John Herrick, had confessed to Reverend Hale, a Beverly, a Beverly that Sarah Wiles Specter had tormented her, and now. Deliverance Hobbs had accused her of witchcraft and that Sarah tore me almost to pieces. It was perhaps unfortunate that Sarah Wiles' son Ephraim had been the constable enlisted to arrest Deliverance Hobbs. Hobbs' accusation against Sarah may have been payback for Ephraim being the one to take her away under the accusation of witchcraft. Okay, examination of Sarah Wiles, April 22nd, 1692. Sorry, this is painful, guys. The examination of Sarah Wiles. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I just jumped. Okay, come on. We'll do this. The examination of Sarah Wiles at court held at Salem Village, April 22nd, 1692, by the worshipful John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin. The sufferers were seized with sundry. The accused came into the court. So here we go. H. Has this woman hurt you? A. Oh, she is upon the beam. Goody Bibber, that never saw her before, said she saw her now upon the beam. And then, said Bibber, fell into a fit. H. What say you to, to this? Are you guilty or not? W. I'm not guilty, sir. H. Is this the woman? Is this the woman? Speaking to the afflicted. Um, note, they all, or most, most said yes, and then fell into fits. H. What do you say? Are you guilty? W. I'm not guilty, sir. H. Is this the woman? Speaking to the afflicted. They all, or most, said yes, and then fell into fits. W. I thank God I am free. H. Here is clear evidence that you have been not only a tormentor, but that you have also caused one of the signed, uh, caused one to sign the book the night before last. What do you say to this? W. I never saw the book in my life. And I never saw these persons before. Some of the afflicted fell into fits. Gosh. H. Do you deny this thing that is apparent? Note. All fell into fits and confirmed that the accused hurt them. H. Did you never consent that these be hurt? D. Never in my life. Note. She was charged by some with hurting John Herrick's mother. The accused denied it. Captain Howe gave in, gave, gave in a relation and con confirmation of the charge before, before being made. She was ordered to be taken away, and they all cried out that she was upon the beam and fell into fits. While the others awaited their turn at the bar, rumors circulated that the missing Mary English had at last been apprehended in Salem Town. According to the report, Philip and his wife, Mary English, were in bed when someone pounded on the door at 11 o'clock at night. Some believe Sheriff George Corwin was one of the men presented who was let into the house by a startled maidservant. Philip English, hearing the banging and the sound of his maid climbing the stairs, got up and began dressing. Before he had accomplished the act, the officers barged into the couple's bedchamber, drew back the bed curtains, and ordered Mary English to accompany them. She flat out refused, stating she did rise at such an hour. The men, not wanting to drag a wealthy woman from her bed, agreed to come back in the morning and posted a guard at the, door, at the house door. 
Mary took her time the following morning as the guards fumed. She dressed, breakfasted with her family, and held a meeting with the household staff before finally accompanying the men to Ingersoll's Tavern in Salem Village, where she would spend the next three nights awaiting her inquest. Chapter 19, Mary Estes and Others As the madness continued, <laughs> my stomach, several things became apparent. The accused were no longer living within the Salem Village boundaries. Neighboring towns were fair game. It is also obvious the girls were feeling their power. Where they had once contented themselves with accusing others of the kind of witchcraft that curdled milk or lame cattle, their accusations now were far more serious. They claimed the specters of certain afflictors were, were admitting and bragging about murder. Were the girls ramping up the odds against those they were accusing? Spectral evidence of a witch abusing them might escape by. Why not add murder just to make sure the charges had some weight to them? The witchcraft mania that began as one small child became overcome with guilt and hysteria, spread so rapidly that it was hard to keep track who was, who was, who was witching who. It snowballed beyond the young women's ability to contain it. They had built the fire with the first fragile kindling, consisting of accusing the villagers, the village throwaways, of some pinching and torment. But each story and embellishment poured accelerant onto the flames until it became a raging bonfire, devouring all in its path. The girls could not have known at the beginning that they would be believed, let alone revered and instrumental in adults going to jail. The Puritan society placed children firmly at the bottom of the totem pole. Normally, the only official documents their names might, might appear on were a mention of birth, marriage, and death. Now their names were inked on more court depositions and recordings than they could have imagined a few short months ago. Certainly, in the back of their minds, they may have wondered when these people would awaken to the fact that they had been faking all of their afflictions. And when they did, what repercussions awaited children doing so much evil? And of their antics, their sport. What if saying specters were doing most of the mischief didn't stick? Three witches had actually confessed something that probably shocked the girls. It was akin to an author seeing his imaginary characters coming to life and mocking him. The girls had taken great strides to make their visions believable, even furnishing visions of torn cloth that actually appeared in the accused coats, where swords had attacked spectral beings. Didn't that collaborate what they were saying was true? But, just in case, a charge of murder would carry the most weight of all. It would tie a very fine noose. Nemea, I hope I'm saying this, Nemea Abbott Jr., a weaver from Topsfield in his 20s, was led into the room. Ann Putnam Jr. identified him as one who afflicted her. Here we go. Examination of the of Nemea Abbott Jr. I hope I'm saying the name right. April 22nd, 1692. The examination of Nia Abbott at a court of Salem Village by John Hawthorne and Jonah then Corwin Esquires. H. What say you are guilty of witchcraft, of which you are suspected or not? A. No, sir. Okay, A, okay. No, sir. I say before God, before whom I stand, that I know nothing of witchcraft. H. Who is this man? Note, Ann Putnam named him. Mary Walcott said she had seen his shape. H. What do you say to this? A. I never did hurt them. H. Who hurt you, Ann Putnam? P. That man. Who hurt you, Ann Putnam? Sorry. P, that man. I got it now. A, I never hurt her. Note, Ann Putnam said that he is upon the beam. H, just such a discovery of the person carried out, and she confessed. And if you would find mercy of God, you must confess. A, if I should confess, this I must confess what is false. H, tell how far you have gone. Who hurt you? A, I do not know. I am absolutely free. H. As you say, God knows. If you will confess the truth, we desire nothing else 
that you may not hide your guilt. If you are guilty, and therefore confess if so. A. I speak before God that I am clear from this accusation. H. What? In all respects. A. Yes, in all respects. H. Doth this man hurt you? Note. Their mouths were stopped. H. You hear several accuse you, though one cannot open her mouth. A. I am altogether free. H. Charge him, not unless it be he. Note. This is the man, this is the man, say some, and some say he is very like him. H. How did you know his name? Putnam. He did not tell me himself, but other witches told me. And Putnam said, It is the same man. And then she was taken with a fit. H. Mary Walcott. Is this the man? W. He is like him. I cannot say it if, if it's that it's he. Note, Mercy Lewis said it is not the man. They all agreed. The man had a bunch on his eyes. And Putnam, and Putman, in a fit, said, Be you the man? A. Do you, do you say be, be the man? Do you say you be the man? Did you put a mist before my eyes? Then he was sent forth till several others were examined. When he was brought in again by reason of, of much people and many in the windows so that the accusers could not have a clear view of him, he was ordered to be abroad and the accusers to go forth to him and view him in the light, which they did. And in the presence of the magistrates and many others dis discoursed quietly with him, one and all acqu acquitting him, but yet said he was like that man. But he had not the wind they saw in his appearance, in his apparition. Note, he was a hilly-faced man and stood shaded by reason of his own hair, so that for a time he seemed to some bystanders and observers to be considerably like the person the afflicted did describe. Mr. Samuel Paris, being desired to take in writing the examination of the Nehemiah Abbot, hath delivered it as it aforesaid and upon hearing the same, did see cause to dismiss him. John Hawthorne, John Hawthorne, Jonah Corwin, assistants. Samuel Paris made note that the man did not have the wind next to his eye that the girls had mentioned. With so many people jammed onto the window sills, they used the dimness of the room as their excuse for misidentifying him. For the first time in the witchcraft hysteria, an accused was let go. This altruistic act may have mollified the villagers that had seen no leniency for any brought before the bar. Perhaps the proceedings were fair after all. Perhaps justice was being carried out. The trial of Nehemiah Abbott caused the scales to tip slightly in the girl's favor. The last wish of the day was the sister of Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Cloyce. Mary Etsy filled out the, filled out the triumvirate of, the, of daughters belonging to accused witch Jonah Towns, Jonah Towns. At 58 years of age, she was younger than her sister Rebecca, already in shackles in the Boston prison. She was from Topsfield, along with the other accused. Where Nehemiah Abbott, Nehemiah Abbott had been shown mercy, Mary Estes' story is one of the more heartless to be recorded inside that shadow courtroom. It is not surprising that the complaints against her originated with John Putnam. As mentioned before, the Putnams had long coveted the Etsy farmland just over their border in Topsfield. In fact, Lieutenant John Putnam lived only about two miles from the Etsy homestead. From the Etsy homestead, I'm sorry. From the Etsy homestead, just below Solomon's Hill. Just as John Charthorne had waved had wavered in his suspicion of the elderly Rebecca Nurse when he saw her stand before him, barely able to support herself, he too felt the niggling of doubt at seeing Mary Esty. The woman held herself with such calm grace that her, that her spirit was filled among the spectators. She was not the spitfire her sister Sarah Cloyce had been. No one could picture this woman slamming a church door in the face of a minister or defying the magistrates. Nor was she the frightened tremulous personage of her older sister, Rebecca. Hawthorne looked at the woman and at the strange quiet of the afflicted girls as she was led to the bar and asked, Are you certain this is the woman? After all, they just made a mistake with Abbott. 
on cue, the spell was broken, and the afflicted on the front row exploded with signs of demonic possession. Examination of Mary Esty. April 22nd, 1692. The examination of Mary Esty. Esty. Now it says Esty. An accord held at Salem Village, 22 April 1692. By the WAP. Worshipful John Hawthorne, Jonathan Corwin. At the bringing in of the accused, several fell into fits. H. Doth this woman hurt you? Note. Many months were stopped, and several other fits seized them. Abigail Williams said it was good easty, and she had hurt her. The likes said Mary Walcott and Ann Putman. John Indian said he saw her with Goody Hobbs. H. What do you say? Are you guilty? E. I can say before Christ Jesus I am free. H. You see these accuse you. E. Dear, let's see, dear God? No, there is a God. Okay. H. Has she brought the book to you? Their mouths were stopped. H. What have you done to these children? E. I know nothing. H. How can you say you know nothing when you see these tormented? I hate when it jumps like that. When you see these tormented and accused, you do know nothing. E. Would you have me accuse myself? H. Yes, if you be guilty. How far have you complied with Satan, whereby he takes this advantage of you? E. Sir, I never complied, but prayed against him all my days. I have no compliance. I have no compliance with Satan in this. What would you have me do? H. Confess if you be guilty. E. I will say it. If it was my last time, I am clear of the sin. H. Of what sin? E. Of witchcraft. Are you certain this is the woman? Note, never a one could speak for fits. By and by, Ann Putman said that was the woman. It was like her. And she told me her name. H. It is marvelous to me that you should sometimes think they are bewitched, and sometimes not, when several confess that they have been guilty of bewitching them. E. Well, sir, would you have me confess that I never knew? Note, her hands were clenched together. And then the hands of Mercy Lewis was clenched. H. Look now. Your hands are open. Her hands are open. Is this the woman? Note. They made signs but could not speak. But Ann Putman afterward, Betty Hubbard, cried out, Oh, goody Esty. Goody Esty, you are the woman. You are the woman. H. Put up her head. For while her head is bowed, the necks of these are broken. What do you say to this? Estes, why, God will know. H, nay, God knows now. E, I know he does. H, what did you think of the actions of others before the sisters came out? Did you think it was witchcraft? E, I cannot tell. H, why do you not think it's witchcraft? E, it is an evil spirit. But whether it be witchcraft, I do not know. Several, no, these are several, Several said she brought them the book, and then they fell into fits. Salem Village, March 24th, 1691-2, Mr. Samuel Paris, being desired to take in writing the examination of Mary Easty. They, they changed the spelling on me. Hath delivered it, as aforesaid. Upon hearing the aforesaid, and seeing what, what we then did see, together with the charge of the person's then present, we committed, said Mary Esty, to their magistrate's goal. John Hawthorne, Jonathan Corwin, assist. Okay, let me do this wipe real quick. So the minute I put the minute I put the thing down, I gotta wipe it, right? No justice. Edward and Sarah Bishop's examination notes are not extant. Edward was the unfortunate man who had beaten John Indian on April eleventh and admonished him at other times during his fits at Ingersoll's ordinary. Many had learned it was not wise to antagonize one within the afflicted circle. The bishops lived a stone's throw from Dr. Griggs' home in the royal section of Salem Village. They ran an unlicensed tavern from their home and had been in court many times. Christian Trask had accused Goody Bishop of being a witch only two years earlier. Elizabeth Hubbard 
Dr. Groot's niece was one of the more forceful accusers as she was the vicious neighbors. Accusations of public fighting abounded and stories that the couples even sent their sons to abuse the neighbor's pigs. Christian Trask went on to suffer fits and a distracted state after dealing with the bishop so much so that the Reverend, that, that Reverend Hale was called for this, was called for it. This is his report, filed May 9th, May 1862. The Reverend John Hale. You know what? I'm thinking this is, hang on, 1692. That's, she, she wrote it as, 16, as, as 1962, so it's 1692. I'm sorry. The Reverend John Hale versus Sarah Bishop, May 20th. There it is, 1692. Okay. I watch out for that stuff, too. <laughs> it never ends. No, I love it. I love this book. Don't get me wrong. John Hale of Beverly, aged 56 years, says that about five or six years ago, Christian, the wife of John Trask, living in Salem Valley's bordering on the above said Beverly, being in full communion in or in our church, came to me to say that good wife Bishop, her neighbor wife of Edward Bishop Jr., might not be permitted to receive the Lord's Supper in our church till she had given the said Trask satisfaction for some offenses that were against her this because the bishop did entertain people in her house and unseasonably and unreasonably, unseasonably hours in the night to keep drinking and playing at shovel at shovelboard, whereby discord did arise in other families and young people who were in danger to be corrupted, and that the said Trask knew these things and had once gone into the house and finding some at shovelboard had taken the pieces they played with and thrown them into the fire had reproved the said bishop for promoting such disorders, but received no satisfaction from her about it. I gave said Christian Trask direction how to proceed farther in the matter if it were clearly proved, and indeed, by the information I have had otherwise, I do fear that if a stop had not been put to those disorders, said Edward Bishop's house would have been a house of great profaneous and inquiry. Profaneous inquiry. <laughs> but as to Christian Trask, the next news I heard of her was that she was distracted in asking her husband Trask when she was so taken. He told me she was taken and distracted that night after she came from my house when she complained against Goody Bishop. She continuing some she continuing some time distracted. We sought the we sought the Lord by fasting and prayer, and the Lord was pleased to restore the said Trask to the use of her reason again. I was so thorough often in her distraction and took it then to be only distraction. Yet fearing sometimes somewhat worse, but since I have seen the fits of those bewitched Salem village, I called to mind some of some of hers to be much like some of theirs. The said trust, when recovered, as I understand it, did manifest strong suspicion that she had been bewitched by the same by the said by said bishop by the said bishop's wife, and showed so much averseness from having any conversation that I was then troubled and had hoping better of said goody bishop at the time, for we have since this was torn. At length, said Christian Trask was again in a distracted fit on a Sabbath day in the forenoon at the pub. Okay, I'm really, I see one with meeting, two or public disturbances, and so continued sometimes better, sometimes worse, unto her death, manifesting that she entered temptation to kill herself or somebody else. I inquired at Margaret Ring, who kept at or nigh in the house, nigh the house, what she had observed of said Trask before this last distraction. She told me, Goody Trask was much given to reading and search the pro the prophecies of scripture the day before she made that distur that disturbance at the meeting house she came home and said she had been with goody bishop and that they too were now friend or to that effect i was off praying with and, and counseling of goody trask before her death and not many days before her end being there 
she seemed more rational, and earnestly desired Edward Bishop might be sent for that she might make friends with him. I asked her if she had wronged Edward Bishop. She said not that she knew of, unless it were in taking his shovel board pieces when people were at play with them, and throwing them into the fire. And if she did evil in it, she was very sorry for it, and desired he would be friends with her or forgive her. This was the very day before she died, or a few days before. Her distraction or bewitching continued about a month, and in those intervals wherein she was better, she earnestly desired prayers and the Sabbath before she died. I received a note for prayers on her behalf, which her husband said was written by herself, and I judged it was her own handwriting, being well acquainted with her hand. As to the wounds she died of, I observed three deadly ones, a piece of her windpipe cut out, and another wound above that through the windpipe and gullet in the vein they call the jugular, so that I then judge and still do apprehend it impossible for her with so short a pair of scissors to mangle herself so that without some extraordinary work of the devil or witchcraft signed. Okay, 20 May, 1692 by John Hale. Wow, that was a read. Reverend Hale wrote that he believed witchcraft was involved in Goody Trask's death. That was very damning evidence, as the only people named in the document were Edward and Sarah Bishop. After their questioning on April 22nd, 1892, they were ordered to jail to await their trial for witchcraft. Mary Black. Mary Black was next. She was an African-American slave who was believed to work for Nathaniel Putnam's son, Benjamin. Mary was only the second black person to stand before the bar. Her predecessor, Tuba Indian, had a much lengthier examination than, than this accused. Examination of Mary Black in clearance by, in clearance by proclamation. April 22nd, 1692. See the other things in 1892, so these dates are kind of confusing here. The examination of Mary Black, a Negro, at a court held at Salem Village, 22 April, 1692, by the magistrates of Salem. H. Mary, you are accused of sundry acts of witchcraft. Tell me, be you a witch? Be silent. H. How long have you been a witch? B. I cannot tell. H. But you have been a witch? B. I cannot tell you. H. Why do you hurt these folks? B. I hurt nobody. H. Who dog? B. I don't know. Benjamin Putnam. Her master, saith the man, sat down upon the farm with her about a twelve months ago. H. What did the man say to you? B. He said nothing. H. Doth this negro hurt you? Note. Several of them said yes. H. Why did you hurt them? B. I did not hurt them. H. Did you prick sticks? B. No, I pinned my neckcloth. H. Well, take out a pin and pin it again. Note. She did so, and several of the afflicted cried out that they were pricked. Mary Walcott was pricked in the arm till the blood came. Abigail Williams was pricked in the stomach. And Mercy Lewis was pricked to the floor, pricked to the foot. Mr. Samuel Paris began being uh, Mr. Samuel Paris being desired to take in writing the examination of Mary Black, a Negro woman, delivered it as aforesaid. And upon hearing the same and seeing what we did, then that what we did then see together with the charge of afflicted persons. Then present, we committed, said Mary Black, per us, John Hawthorne, Jonathan Corwin, assistance. Okay. Mary English's examination does not exist. We know she was the wife of Philip English, a wealthy merchant in Salem Town. She helped him with business matters and may have run a shop out of her home, which was a common. Oh, now it did this. Okay, hang on. Okay. Which was a common occurrence in those days. There were rumors that some of the less fortunate Salem Town folk found her to be rather self-important. Not a hanging crime, but in the witch trial climate, one could use all the friends one could make. At the end of a long train of inquisitions, the magistrates and ministers sauntered up to Ingersoll's to dine and to make sure their horses were attended to. Oats of hay were duly noted on Ingersoll's tab for the visiting dignitaries. 
At the end of the day, Marshall Herrick took the strange menagerie to Salem's to Salem Salem's Gaul Gaul, which is the jail Gaul. Among the prisoners were two tavern owners, a devout Christian woman, the mother of a confessed witch, a black slave, and a wealthy merchant. How the inmates in Salem jail that night might have looked about themselves at their strange bedfellows. Did the poor among them secretly gloat at seeing the likes of a fine lady such as Mary English huddled in the filthy straw? The juxtaposition of the souls accused of mounting poles and flying through the night air, dining with the devil and tormenting innocent children, was a surreal reality to accept. But reality, reality it was for, the, for these accused witches, and it came with iron shackles, slops, and a threadbare blanket. Meanwhile, the devil's minions were dining on their own fare in Paris's pasture outside the meeting house. No other mention was made of the diabolic sacrament that day with one exception. Deliverance Hobbs reminded the magistrates of it when they came to the jail to question her later that day. Chapter 20, Susanna Sheldon enters the fray. Deliverance Hobbs had barely chosen her spot in the large stonewall dungeon, flanked by weathered boards, when she was visited by Hawthorne and Corwin the following day. Her answers to the questions were shocking. Examination of Deliverance Hobbs in prison, April 23, 1692. The first examination of Deliverance Hobbs in prison. She continued in the free in the free acknowledging herself to be a covenant witch, and further confesseth she was warned to a meeting yesterday morning, and that there was present Proctor and his wife, Goody Nurse, Giles Corey, and his wife. Goody Bishop, alias Oliver, and Mr. Burroughs was the preacher, and pressed them to bewitch all in the village, telling them they should do it gradually, and not all at once, assuring them they should prevail. He administered the sacrament unto them at the same time with red bread and red wine, like blood. She affirmed she saw Osborne, Sarah Good, Goody Wiles, Goody Nurse, and Goody Wiles distributed the bread and wine, and a man in a long-crowned white hat next to the minister, and they sat seemingly at a table, and they filled out the wine at tankers. The notice of this meeting was given her by Goody Wiles. She herself affirms did not wood nor eat nor drink, but all the rest did who were there present. Therefore, they threatened to torment her. The meeting was in the pasture by Mr. Paris's house, and she saw when, when ran out to speak with them. But by that time, Abigail was come a little distance from the house as examinant was struck blind, so that she saw not with whom Abigail spake. She further saith that Goody Wilde's to prevail with her to sign, told her that if she would put her hand to the book, she would give her some, some clothes, and would not afflict her any more. Her daughter, Abigail Hobbs, being brought in at the same time, while her mother was present, was immediately taken with a dreadful fit, and answered it was, it was Goodman Corey, and she saw him, and the gentlewoman of Boston striving to break her daughter's neck. We see here by Deliverance's own admission that she was present when Abigail Williams came out from the parsonage door the day before and told the astonished crowd of villagers about to enter the meeting house that there was a devil sacrament. I'm checking something real quick, guys. Just hang on. Wow, oh, man. Okay. I'm going to have to call it there at that point. Um... I've got a meeting to attend to tonight, so I'm going to say goodbye. Tomorrow's guest is at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, the usual time, and we're going to be talking witches tomorrow. Our, our guest tomorrow is, uh, hang on, let me get it. My eyes are so watery, I can't see. Our guest tomorrow is uh, Jade Ellen Cross, who is a warlock, and he likes to uh, teach people about Wicca and things like that. So, well, he'll be here tomorrow night to do that. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming, and I really appreciate it. I'm going to relate for my meeting, so I'm just going to cut out now, and I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good night. <laughs>